This is Line Dance Podcast. I'm Christopher Gonzalez. Hello. And welcome to Line Dance Podcast on Move Radio with Christopher Gonzalez and Alexander Jung. That's right. Megan is on assignment this week. She is putting down floor at Line Dance Showdown, which is where we are broadcasting live in Boston, Massachusetts. It is very cold outside. Uh, Alex just landed moments, maybe minutes ago, we'll say minutes ago, and uh, made his way here to the hotel where, where the event is being held. This is the Marriott Quincy, or Marriott Boston Quincy, something. Boston Marriott. Boston Quincy. Marriott Quincy. There it is. Yes. Uh, not to be confused with Boston Market Quincy, where you can have yourself a delicious meal. We were uh, just talking about food. That's right. Yes, <laughs> food is food is essential at these events. You've got to stay energized. You've got to you got to be able to keep going for multiple days uh, on end. And you know another thing that you really need to watch for at major events like this: taking care of your feet. I have an article here from danceplace.com entitled Ways to Rescue Your Feet for Social Dancing by Laura Riva. There's a little tagline here. It says, Beginner-Friendly Health and Safety Social Dancing. And I will read what follows in this article. And then Alex and I will discuss what we've thought about this uh, this very interesting-looking article on rescuing your feet for social dancing. As dancers, one of the most important tools we possess is our feet. They move us, turn us, can make us look good, and are the foundation on which the rest of our dance rests. It is very easy over the course of an event to overstrain our feet to the point where we find it difficult to enjoy the rest of the weekend. Other issues include swollen feet, blisters and shoes that aren't fitting properly but there is hope here are some fixes that may work for you swollen and sore feet try cool water this trick I learned when I worked in a shoe store during the day and wanted to dance during the evening standing on a concrete floor for eight plus hours would leave my feet extremely tender and swollen to the point that my shoes sometimes would not fit One day, I randomly decided to try standing on a wad of paper towels soaked in cold water. It was miraculous. Ten minutes on that cool surface shrank my feet back to normal size and eliminated much of the pain I was feeling. And it stayed that way for the whole night. This is one trick I've sworn by since. Athletic tape. You know that white tape that helps to stabilize athletes? It's also great for your feet. If they are dying of pain, wrap some around the ball of your foot, not too tight, and you may find yourself able to dance for a few more hours. Just be gentle when taking off the tape, because it is quite sticky. Stretching. Develop a good foot stretching exercise. Roll the toes under and then stretch them the reverse way. Do ankle rolls. Give yourself a small foot massage, especially in the arch. Insoles. If foot pain is a frequent problem, you should look into getting dance shoe orthotics or insoles. It's worth it, and you can usually transfer them between pairs. Dancefeet.ca offers custom ones for dance shoes, including heels. 
but there are many other options available as well. My dance partner uses plain old Dr. Scholl's. Blisters. Of course, one of the go-to solutions for blisters once you have them is band-aids. This is always a good option, but I found a couple tweaks that I prefer to the band-aid option. The first is to replace band-aids with athletic tape. Band-aids usually fell off too readily, and then it was back to square one. I found that athletic tape would stay on better, was more customizable, and offered otherwise the same benefits. I also put a small square of tissue paper on the affected area before applying the band-aid to prevent painful pulling when removing the tape at the end of the night. The second way that I tweaked this was putting on the tape or band-aid before the blister develops. I usually can tell right away if a pair of new shoes may give me a blister. I immediately put tape on that area of the foot. That way, I just don't have to worry about it the whole night. I try to also avoid popping blisters when I need to go dance soon. The best time to do that is before bed, so that the affected area has a chance to dry up and air out. Bad Shoe Fit a benefit of working in a shoe store for four years means that I've figured out how to make just about every shoe fit, more or less. If the shoe is slightly big, try a full insole or a toe pad. These push your feet up and back into the shoe. I prefer the versions with adhesive that actually stick to the shoes. I've also seen some creative interpretations when no insoles are available. One woman made creative use of bra inserts she had on hand. It worked! If the heel is loose, try using a heel grip. These are specifically designed to help your foot grip the heel of the shoe. If there is an area that always gives a blister, put a bit of athletic tape on the shoe in that place. Sometimes this can get rid of rubbing. If the shoe is too small, wear them around the house with socks on if you usually wear the shoe with socks wear extra thick ones or two pairs if you feel the shoe is wobbling put a thick elastic band around your foot and the shoe in the arch area it can help hold your foot in place the importance of good shoes the above are fixes for when things are wrong but the best thing you can do to keep your feet in good shape is to wear proper footwear. Ensure the shoes fit. Make sure your foot is properly supported. Listen to their limits and stop if something feels wrong. One thing I see a lot is people who take great care of their feet when it comes to dance shoes and then wear terrible shoes in their day-to-day -day life. Unless you are a dance professional, chances are you usually don't spend more than four hours a day in your shoes. That leaves a large amount of time you will be wearing other shoes and doing other things with your feet. If you want to save your feet for dancing, make sure that you wear properly supported, comfortable shoes during the rest of your life as well. Trust me, it's worth it. This article is Ways to Rescue Your Feet for Social Dancing by Laura Riva. All right. Well, scrolling back up here to the top, what are some of your thoughts as they arose over the course of this article, Alex? Feet are definitely important. That is a no-brainer. It is our foundation, along with having the heart to dance, right? So, taking care of yourself as well as your feet, like eating properly, 
kind of goes hand in hand. So if your feet aren't happy, you're not going to be happy. Having been uh, in the military as you were, I'm thinking you probably had to be on your feet quite a lot. Is there anything that helped you when the walking or marching was just too much and your feet felt like they were going to fall off? Grin and bear it. But honestly, it was uh, double stacking socks and stuff. You know, we'd wear our dress socks underneath our, you know, military boot socks or vice versa. Whatever it was to give that extra little layer, a little bit of protection and prevent against that rub, which causes that blister. So very wise words that they gave here. Has there ever been uh, a night at a dance event where you think you... You can't do another night. That one night, maybe it's early in the event, a Thursday or a Friday. You're like, I'm done. But maybe if there's this one thing I whip out, like soaking your feet in the bathtub or anything like that, um, that'll give you the strength for future nights to come. Is there anything that's helped you get through a full event while dancing in boots or um, other shoes that you weren't expecting to wear for, uh, for extended periods of dance? As far as that's concerned, not too much. I suppose when I was doing stagecoach at one point, uh, I definitely danced myself and my feet to oblivion, right? And uh, the only thing I really could do is just make sure that I let them get some kind of air when I wasn't dancing 16 hours that day, just so that way I can exist the next day. (laughs) Yeah, if Megan were here, I'm sure she would extol the virtues of KT tape. Uh, they mention athletic tape here, and I know that she she wraps her toes in KT tape. The other thing I was thinking, too, is uh, for blisters, you know, moleskin was another one of my go-tos to use. And it's basically like using an athletic tape. You know, you cut it to size to fit the blister, so that way it kind of protects it, gives you that extra layer. So I swear by moleskin. I usually carry a good roll of that around with me wherever I go. I endorse what they mentioned about orthotics as well, like insoles. I'm wearing mine right now. I Anytime I switch shoes, I switch out the orthotics to go with them. And just like Megan uses her, her uh, athletic tape in just about any, any uh, dance shoe she switches into for dance events, I make sure that my orthotics are with me because they talk about foot massages, giving yourself a foot massage. And I used to, when I didn't have these arch supports uh, that, that I now have in all my shoes, uh, I used to feel a pinch in my arch. And if I were dancing just in flat shoes like Converse in a parking lot, then I would feel myself tightening up and trying to stay in the shoe. And now that I have these orthotics to kind of break that up, I don't, uh, I don't find that there's as much constriction there anymore. So I, I would also recommend those. Probably it has to do a lot with your foot makeup, too, the shape of your foot, you know. So you need to find what's right for you. That's the important thing. If you have flat feet, then what you rec- might work for you might not work for the person with a flat foot or vice versa. Very true. All right. Let's see what we have next here from the very same website, danceplace.com. This one I find very exciting. This is something we've talked a little bit about. How to be a dance evangelist by Laura Riva. You know the person. Magically, they seem to find a continuous flow of new dancers for the scene. And many of those people actually stick around. 
They are what I like to call a dance evangelist. I self-identify as a dance evangelist. Since I started dance, I'm pretty sure I've gotten at least 50 people into various forms of dance, and that's probably on the conservative end. Salsa, West Coast, Zouk, even Lindy and Blues at a time. So, I feel pretty well qualified to write this, but I am always open to new ways to improve my own dance evangelism. So, how can you be a dance evangelist? 1. Persistence is key. You know that person who keeps bugging you to do something until you feel like you have no choice? That's me. If someone shows even a shred of interest in the idea of social dance, it's game over for them. Every time I talk to them, I will mention it. If there's an event, I will message them the details. I'll call them and ask if they're free and then try to get them to come with me. You know those door-to-door Bible salespeople? Dance evangelists are like them, but with dance. And much more persistent. And because it's dance instead of religion, I like to think much less annoying. Of course, there is a fine line between being persistent and being stalkerish. So, here's a handy do and don't list on persistence. Do. Mention it in conversation. Do. Text them if you're going out dancing to invite them out. Do. Facebook them event details and invite them to things. Do. Back off if they firmly say no more. Do tell them that you'll stop bugging them if they just try it once. And stick to it. Do not kidnap them and stick them in your trunk to take them to the event. Do not threaten to end your friendship or relationship over dancing. Do not attempt to hypnotize them to come to dance. Do not only ever talk about dance. We want them to like it, not think we're weird, crazy, obsessed people, even if we are. Before we go on to the next one, what are your thoughts on number one, persistence is key? <laughs> I think that uh, a lot of that actually kind of suits you right there. Even just that first paragraph as I was reading over that, I was like, hey, that sounds like Chris. <laughs> How so? I believe you've gotten quite a few people into doing dance, actually. Uh, you're very persistent with doing tabling outside of, uh, was it S- uh, SSU? Oh, yes, yeah, Sonoma State University. Yep. Uh, you've gotten your own club going on. I, I'd say you're pretty adamant about trying to pop up a little uh, event, mini event, anywhere you go, actually. Anywhere you can land your little your little fingers in, be like, hey, come dance. You know you want to dance. You just don't know it, actually. <laughs> I'm happy that you are here at this event because, I mean, it's within the past year that you have experienced and, and, and uh, begun to experience line dance on a global scale outside of Southern California or lower Nevada. Now you, you uh, have your first toeholds in the world of the dancing beyond. What are your thoughts on uh, having been dragged kicking and screaming out into the, uh, the ether of line dance? Uh, crossing into the void from uh, bar dance to circuit dance. Uh, I thought this would be in the interview. Is this counting as our interview as well? <laughs> oh, we, we, we can save it for that as well. Um, I've, what, what would be your bullet-pointed thoughts on, um, on how effective certain approaches may be and how maybe scary and, um, and off-putting other approaches may be for persuading a person to come to the dance world? 
Well, there's a few stigmas that are kind of going out right now about how circuit dance is harder than bar dancing, and that's not the case. There are various different degrees of dance within the circuit world that do accommodate for beginner or people that haven't even seen dance a lick in their life. The instructors that I've come across, you know, like Shane McKeever and Fred Whitehouse, Darren Bailey, you know, a bunch of people that I really look up to really break things down and make it feel like something that looks like you can't grasp it just because it looks foreign to you makes it easy for you to pick up and feel confident in. So uh, it's very beginner friendly, very family oriented. So anything that should have been scary about the idea of Circuit World uh, should just be wiped out of anybody's mind. It's something that you should come try to do if you have the opportunity to do it. Uh, there are still elements about bar dancing that I enjoy, uh, but there is definitely a lot to be had and said for Circuit World. Regarding persistence, is there anybody that you have been able to bring into dance, whether at the bars like the ranch or in cahoots or any other uh, place that you've been to yourself, uh, who, who might have thought, oh, dancing's not for me. I'm not a dancer. I two left feet. I looked ridiculous. Is there anybody that you just kept pestering until they eventually decided to give it a try and liked it? I suppose in a direct way, there was one. Uh, it was a, my... Boss, my old bosses at my one of my ranches that I was working at, son, that was living in Oregon at the time. He was visiting down, you know, and we took him out to go dancing a little bit. And it's like, hey, this is something you really should try out. Like, get out there and just go do it. And, you know, at first he was a little skittish about it. He's like, maybe you should teach me first. So that was another thing that helped is being able to actually teach him a little bit. So he felt confident going out to a bar and then performing it in front of people because that's super scary for some people. Once he got over that fear, then he was really starting to bite at, you know, wanting to learn more. So, yeah, it was my persistence basically in telling him, hey, you need to learn some of these dances. Come out and dance this stuff. And then we finally figured out how to get his in so he was comfortable doing it. Has there been anybody in your world who has persisted in getting either you to dance to begin with or getting you to maybe let loose out on the dance floor and make you the uh, very passionate and expressive dancer that you are now, or anybody who persisted in pulling you out of that zone into an unfamiliar dance territory, or, or anybody who uh, has persisted in uh, encouraging you to, to learn dances alongside them as they learn dances. Anything, any, anybody along those lines for any of those for my story on that, it's been a lot of self-drive, to be honest. And I think that has to do a lot with uh, what we talked about before, you know, uh, what interested us about line dance. We both kind of have similar stories and why we got into the whole line dance thing. And I think we're both pretty self-driven about it. Our thing is that we know we love it so much that we want to share it to everybody else. <laughs> yeah. All right, rolling down to number two on the list. Show them the dance first. Find a go-to YouTube video that is beginner-friendly. A yet-to-be dancer cannot tell the difference in subtlety or see the difference between something improvised or choreographed. What sells best? Good music. Good-looking dancers, dance-wise, not appearance-wise. A skill level they feel is attainable. Bonus, a dancer who is 
physically someone they can relate to. For example, West Coast Swing is easy to sell on video because it doesn't look hard in the majority of cases, even if it is. The music is current and popular, and most of the time, people are just doing nice, clean-looking dancing. Usually anything with Jordan and Tatiana, Jessica Cox, Max Entz, or and Virginie, or Michael Kilbasa tends to go over really well. Benji and Showcase, unless it's a So You Think You Can Dance fan, tends to leave people overwhelmed. Basically, I, I find choreographed classic routines or good Jack and Jill's most effective. Zook is much harder to sell on video because people who aren't in tip-top athletic shape take one look at complicated upper body movement and go, holy f***, I'll break. Of course, if you're trying to sell to a gymnast, athletic dancing can be really appealing. So, know your audience. For Zook, I like to use a Freddie and Andressa class demo. Clean, sexy, fun, generally current music, and people don't feel crazy intimidated. A Cadu and Larissa routine, on the other hand, while gorgeous, can really scare people away from learning. Lastly, people tend to get more inspired by people who they can relate to. Try to select your inspirational dancers to match the personality or physique of the person you are trying to entice. If someone who is at the top of their game is similar in attitude or look to your victim <coughs> friend, um, it's more likely to resonate with them. They actually typed victim and crossed it out and then wrote friend, just to clarify. Anyhow, <laughs> what are your thoughts on showing them the dance first and the various bullet points listed? Good music is definitely a key. I mean, if you're not enticed by the music, if it doesn't grip you, then it's hard to spur up that passion of dance, right? Uh, having people that look good when they're dancing is a huge thing. I mean, we just watched a whole bunch of competitions. I probably shouldn't be talking about this kind of thing uh, since it's very opinionated, right? Uh, where people just don't look at, you know, entertaining to watch. You could sit there and stare at a Fred Whitehouse dance all day, you know, and be thoroughly entertained. You could watch Christopher Gonzalez dance his heart out and be thoroughly entertained. You could almost visualize the dance by watching them dance. Like, I almost feel like I've learned a few dances just by watching my friend Christopher Gonzalez dancing his heart out, you know? Uh, and so then it makes things feel attainable because he's doing them very step sheet. He's not adding a whole bunch of, you know, extra stuff improv right it's still choreographed so it's still you know something that's patterns you could you can get it and it feels like you can approach and dance beside him uh that's the comfortability that i look for that makes me want to dance so showing somebody that if i was to show them a picture or a video of christopher gonzalez dancing they'd be more inclined to want to dance next to him compared to somebody that was trying to throw in their own flair every every four counts you know it changes the dance it makes it more difficult to wrap your brain around and it feels more intimidating when you start seeing a pattern then you're like okay there is a point where i can pick this up and i can take a bit of this at a time rather than looking at say a hip-hop routine where you're not doing the same thing at all or things might not be synergistic you know might not be doing one thing on your left side and then you just do it on the right uh Line dance has a lot of the repetitions and stuff that makes it easier to come by, and it's easier for your brain to pick it up. Probably why I can do it. I'm not that smart a guy, so patterns and stuff makes it easy for me. Makes it feel less intimidating. Hip-hop is super intimidating for me still. 
So that's that's my kind of take on that. Oh, and having somebody that I can physically relate to. I have quite a few of those people. I would say Christopher Gonzalez. Uh, Fred is a little bit more on a bigger side, you know, but he's somebody that I ins- that inspires me and that I look up to. So it's like I would want to achieve where he's at because I like the way he presents himself. I like his character. I like his personality, how down-to-earth he is, approachability. These are all qualities, and it's not just his physical qualities. It's his personality. It's, it's, it's who he is that entices me to want to befriend him and join him on the dance floor and that that's a big thing because a lot of people want to be able to feel like they're welcomed in the environment they're in they don't want to go there and just be like a thorn in somebody's side you know being like why are you dancing next to me that's the worst feeling is if you're you pull up to somebody and you want to dance next to them and you're just a little too wild for them and they walk away and you're they just it hurts it hurts hard you know and so that's that's a lot of things that you really really need good looking dancers that, that are dancing good stuff you know the, the choreographed way something that you can pick up uh people that are approachable you know that makes it feel more attainable in a way too so it all kind of keys together uh the way you're kind of doing what you're doing is makes it attainable you had a lot of people at your uh palm springs event that were really grasping what you were putting down that was really neat to see like a bunch of brand new dancers picking up a brand new circuit instructor (laughs) it's cool to see that thank you for the feedback regarding good music are there any dances that you may have tried to share with a friend and you might know that the dance originally goes to some certain song but you know they'll probably actually learn it if you song switch it to something else. Are there any that you've song switched just because you think uh, it'll grab them more with that different song? For myself personally, I mean, there isn't too much. I haven't really tried to sell too much on a personal level. I think most of the time that I end up getting people involved in dance or wanting to dance is they see how passionate I am about it when I'm already in my element more than on a one-to-one basis talking to somebody. So I don't really think that's as applicable for me. I kind of just dance where I dance and, you know, people see me and then they're inspired by seeing how happy I am in my moment, in my zone. Then they're like, Hey, I want a piece of that too. You know, I could name a couple people that have come up to me and it was the best feeling in the world. Uh, Marty and her daughter, uh, they saw me dancing. I think it was at Toby Keith's where I actually met you. Uh, and they, she got so inspired, the mother got so inspired that she wanted to go dance herself. So she started taking lessons and then dragged her daughter out, who also enjoyed dancing. So it's kind of cool to see that, see that effect. But as far as song switching and stuff like that, I haven't really had a hand too much in in that kind of a field as far as controlling music and trying to inspire people to dance via using different musics. So that wouldn't be me. Yeah, I know that there there are some dances that have great steps to them that people really like to do just over and over across the state, like uh, MIB, Mbop, um, uh, let's see, Tush Push, uh, Chill Factor... And yet, while the original songs for these might be classics of their own, 
they might be less relatable for the generation who is just now discovering line dance and didn't listen to some of that music in their own time. It's weird to think about how long ago movies like Men in Black even came out. Like, we were there for Men in Black, but like some people who are just, you know, turning 18 this year, going out to the bar, maybe that's before their time, which is weird to think. But yeah, but then, you know, if you, if you put some really bumping track to that then you know they, they might be able to relate to it a little more you may be lucky enough to hear tonight late at night mbop set to the original song mbop <laughs> it's much much slower and it feels very different and as we know, you know, doing mbop to any number of other songs, you know, you get that challenge of the cross and heel and behind and cross and heel, hold and cross. And with uh, the original mbop, it feels, I guess, more accessible to people. But um, I, I don't know if it inspires in the same way that, say, like What Makes You Beautiful by One Direction or Free and Easy by Dirks Bentley would, uh, because they have a little bit more drive to them. It's interesting. I, I'm not sure I have a whole lot of feedback on, on the topic of this. The thing that I was going to say is, you know, a song changed for, like, After Party, which was done originally to a super slow song. And then you bump it up to, say, doing it to, like, Geronimo. And that's just an insane, like, pushing me to my limits kind of thing that I would imagine if I was doing it that time, they wouldn't want to learn after party at that point because it's just it looks like it's really difficult to get when you slow it back down and kick it down to where it originally was you know with that nice slow tempo it looks so easy to pick up yeah just like they're saying here a skill level they feel is attainable uh and then after that uh this point here a dancer who is physically someone they can relate to uh, megan and i and megan has just joined us here at the booth uh, in the lobby of the Boston Marriott Quincy. Uh, Megan and I talked with Scott Blevins uh, a while back, who mentioned that he likes to demo his dances, the dances that he will be teaching at an event, with a spectrum of different dancers so that people can see somebody that they can relate to personally. So that you know, if, they're, if they are more of a Fred Whitehouse Superman-looking character, <laughs> they can look at that and be like, oh, wow, if he holds himself like that, and, you know, maybe I can work on my posture and I can look very strong while also graceful. And dashing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and somebody who might be more like you know, the, the, the short, stout, sarcastic retiree might be thinking, oh, well, I'm never going to look like that guy. But, you know, hey, there's a lady that looks like she's you know, one of my bridge partners or something. You know? there's, there's somebody for everybody out there. And uh, I think by offering, uh, offering different views, different perspectives, and interpretations of the same dance, then uh, a person out there who initially looks at a dance and thinks that they don't like it might just not feel the connection with that person who danced it as much as somebody else who they relate to more. What are your thoughts on this, Megan? Um, what was it? What was the actual prompt? Oh, well, we are currently reading the article, How to Be a Dance Evangelist. And this is in the section, Show Them the Dance First, and uh, Bonus, a Dancer Who is Physically Someone They Can Relate to. And that can help people uh, connect. Well, I definitely know, personally, I love watching the dance before I just go out there and learn it so that I know kind of what to expect as the dancer taking the lesson. So as an instructor, I prefer to show them the dance um, if I have the option to. 
especially if it's going to be a more complicated dance, just so that they can see the different phrasings or the different movements. Um, just kind of get an idea of what they're in for. Um, and as for showing them a variety of dancers, I am a strong believer in that. It's one of the reasons why I actually prefer to demo your competition pieces with you so that people can see more people out there, get a feel for it, as well as, oh, okay, look, there's two people out there. Oh, yeah, no, I really like how he does this, but then she does it like that, as well as the idea that when you have multiple people out there, they the energy they feed off of each other as well makes the dance a little bit more entertaining, a little bit more fun. You can get a little bit better feel for the dance overall. When there's more people on the floor, you have an idea of what it's going to look like with a full floor. So, Thank you. Number three, pick your venue. So, your favorite dance night is the place where all the pros go to play. That's probably not the best place to take your brand new friend. It will scare them. They will feel like sh- and never want to dance in public again. There's exceptions to this, especially with follows, but generally speaking, I tend to stick by this rule. Think of it this way. You'd never take a first-year university student and decide to make them defend a PhD thesis on their first day. You could probably be arrested for cruel and unusual punishment. What do I recommend? Pick a place with a beginner lesson, if there is one, and definitely pick somewhere where they will not be the only beginner. Even if it's not your favorite place, go with them. Being a capital D, capital E, dance evangelist isn't about you. It is about the person you are trying to draw into this world. Pick your venue right and they will crave to come back. Pick your venue wrong and they may never return. Are they comfortable in nightclubs? Pick a more bar-style venue. Shy or prefer something low-key? Pick a lighter, more studio-esque social. I have friends who hate bars and look at dance clubs as an escape, but also have friends who see dancing as a great addition to a night lifestyle experience. Eventually, both parties enjoy most of the same events, but on their way, on their way in, pick the atmosphere that is most familiar to them. Thoughts for Megan? Um, one of my favorite things about what we do on Thursday nights is we really do gear towards the first timer, the beginner. We have lessons all night long, several hours. We try and make it as fun and as lighthearted for everyone. And part of the reason why I take that stance is because I remember when I was first starting out, I would go, I'd pay the cover charge. And although I don't mind being in bars, it was it was difficult to pay the cover charge and just sit there and maybe know three dances. Even if I did take the lesson, which sometimes was a beginner lesson, sometimes it was a challenging lesson, which was nice, uh, especially once I got better at dancing, the challenging lessons were preferred. Um, but if I was to bring someone to all the different places that I have traveled, the first thing I would bring them to would be either one of our Hot Monk nights or our Twin Oak nights because we have you know, a minimum of like 12 lessons that night so that they're going to be dancing the whole time and they can get a feel for three different instructors' styles at the same event, um, which kind of gives them 
a little sample of what like the larger events look like too or what workshops might be like because they teach several dances through several hours several different instructors and then there's also requests and social dancing later and I think that really kind of gets their interest peaked because they they see that oh there's such a variety of dances I can do there's some of it's country music, some of it's, you know, pop, some of it's rock, some of it's classic uh, stuff. So it's it's all stuff that people can find their like and be like, oh, I really liked that song. I'm not so much a fan of country, but that one that, that you know, Chris taught, you know, or something to that um, along those lines that they're able to connect with because there's the variety. So. All right. Passing, as I untangle cords here in the studio, uh, passing the mic over to Mr. Alex Young. What are your thoughts on picking your venue? Is there anybody that you thought would be more appropriate to bring to a Luan class versus um, an In Cahoots night or the ranch or cowboy country? Or or an event, as Megan uh, mentions. Well... Truth be told, I feel like events really are going to be the better place to take person because in our area, we don't really have easy access to beginner dances. Besides, you know, it's it's interesting. It's, it's a challenging thing for me to really think about the stuff that they're teaching at a lot of the local bars compared to the levels that they're keeping them at. For some reason, it seems like the way that people are doing it everywhere else, aside from Southern California, gets more people on board with the hit songs and the better better dances sometimes. I don't know. If this gets back around to some people that, I, that I'm rather close with, it could be bite me in the butt or I'll hear flack about it. But I like the way that Cat Painter does her lessons when she's up you know, north. They're bringing stuff from Circuit World and not treating it as like this super advanced crazy thing and it's approachable you know she's able to get new dancers on that floor dancing a bunch of the things that i actually enjoy dancing some things that are classical or older you know some things that i've been dancing for a while that they're bringing back in some venues and that's kind of cool too um some places that I wouldn't recommend if you really want to learn how to dance is places like In Cahoots. You mentioned that. They have some lessons there, but for the most part in the night, you're kind of taking anybody's guess at who's actually dancing correctly. You know, there's some places that have higher value in the actual choreography of the dances, like the ranch. Carrie Kick actually does really well on teaching dances correctly. And when people dance there, they're not doing, they're not changing entire sections of the dance because they want to throw a, a stand in place 360 turn or something, you know, when you're supposed to be traveling in a direction. You know, if you're standing in place spinning, you're bump, you're now having somebody bump into you because they're actually doing the dance correctly and that presents a problem. Uh, you don't run into that problem. They have more, more floor etiquette at certain venues over others. I wouldn't take somebody that's a beginner dancer to Waterwheel as I started out at Waterwheel. But it presented a lot of challenges to myself as a dancer also. People, you know, especially for a guy, being a, a male dancer in a, in, a, uh, in a line dance world or a very country-oriented world where people are very stigmatic against men being line dancers. 
Um, there's probably certain states that probably would not condone it either. You know, back in Texas, I, I you know, word on, that I keep getting from people that travel from Texas say that real men, you know, don't line dance. Two-stepping is, you know, having a lady in your hands is the only way to dance. You know, all these egos and all that stuff. So it's like these are not places that I would take them to. Places that I would be comfortable taking them to would be like Stoney's, you know, it would be the ranch, um, maybe cowboy country because, you know, on, on certain line dance nights, they have a lot of two-step crowd, too, that prefers just two-step and gives a lot of line dancers a lot of pressure. They'll, I've run into crazy things with people throwing their partners into, into line dancers because they just don't like line dancers. All sorts of random weird problems. So it's very important to pick your venue. It's very important to have a good mindset of where you want to go. Where people will see some of the more advanced stuff if they go early. You know, if they want to, if that's their niche. Or if they want to stick to the easier stuff. You know, like say Good Time or, you know, Hicktown. You know, some of the more traditional things will play a little bit towards the middle of the night. So it's like, it's a very important thing to pick where you go. I, I don't know how to say that clearly i think uh i think you spoke very well in uh in that in that bullet point here number four couple the evening with something else so they're nervous about dancing go for drinks before or after maybe grab coffee or dinner go see a movie and then catch the dance lesson after maybe even just chill at home before whatever it is if this person is a friend it can help to hang out with them a little before or after, or even just meet up and travel to the venue together. It alleviates a lot of the fear of walking in alone. I have seen newcomers who refuse to enter the room unless their dancer friend is there, even if the lesson is starting. Meeting up before going to the venue to do a comfortable and fun activity can take a lot of the fear out of the experience. I'm terrible at this. When I'm in my dance zone, I'm in my dance zone. And it's definitely left some of my friends that have come to see me or even my uh, foster father who came to watch me dance or, you know, come hang out at the bar. Uh, wasn't really hanging out with me because I was dancing the entire night. And uh, this leads us to our next bullet point. Here. Boy, does it. Number five, <laughs> do not abandon them. I cannot stress this enough. The worst thing you can do for a newbie is to walk in the door, dance one dance, and then abandon them for all your dancer friends. Seriously. dancing. Would you like to read the next line here? Seriously, it is a dick move. <laughs> don't do it. If you won't have time to care for your friend, don't bring them to that party. It's just that simple. They're counting on you. If they ask you to help them with the steps, do so to the best of your ability. If they're feeling shy, track down people to dance with them. Here's some tips. Do introduce them to people. Do ask friendly dancers you know to go ask the newbie for a dance, but don't tell them you're doing this. Do encourage your friend to ask dancers you know are beginner friendly. Do check in with them frequently and spend some time talking. I try at least every two songs, unless they're dancing. Do dance with them frequently. Do tell them they're doing just fine. And encourage them to tell partners they are a beginner if they are nervous. Do introduce them to other beginners that they can relate to. Do not leave your friend for multiple songs to go enjoy your night. 
do not criticize their <laughs> dancing. Do not point them towards strong dancers who are stuck up or snobby. They can't tell the difference between another novice and a strong but mean dancer. So it's better to point them towards the friendly one. Taking care of the new dancer is the most important but overlooked part of dance evangelism. Put yourself in your friend's shoes. You know no one. You are doing something completely foreign. You think everyone else is really good at this thing. You're stressed. You're nervous. It's like going to a house party and only knowing your one friend. It can be exciting, but it's really, really crappy if your friend leaves you to go hook up with people. If you want them to stick around, pay attention to how you can make their experience as great as possible. Like I said, anyone can be a dance evangelist, but that doesn't mean it's for everyone. Know your limits. If you are going to an event and you plan on getting tipsy and just dancing your butt off, then it's probably not the night to bring your brand new friend, unless they're super outgoing. If you decide to take on the responsibility of bringing someone to dance, it's on you to make it the best experience possible. Go forth, my dancers, and preach the word of dance. Thoughts on this one? A lot of good stuff here. A lot of good stuff. Uh, I definitely need to heed these words. I'm very notorious for going and just doing my thing, being in my zone. So uh, don't abandon them is a huge thing. It It's... I can kind of relate to that. I was at Vegas, I think it was, and I, I didn't get a lot of time to be able to hang out with Chris and Megan, and they're my friends, obviously, right? Is this? Oh, definitely. Is this Vegas Dance Explosion, the event? Correct. Vegas Dance Explosion. You know, they, they were around, but for the most part, I was just kind of lost in the sauce of three different, four, four or five different dance rooms that I could potentially go to, not really knowing anyone. I'm social enough. But, uh, you know, for some people that might not be, it could be really intimidating. There's thousands of dancers there. You hardly know anybody. You've kind of built up a little rapport with some people that you've kind of interacted with maybe a couple minutes. But that's not enough to really build a friendship or relationship out of that makes you feel comfortable, like you're welcome. What is nice, though, is that as a whole, if you get people to a circuit event, everybody's friendly. They treat you all like family. So it's all relevant. Don't make them feel like they're being completely neglected and ignored. It goes a long ways if you're just if you're there with them at least to get them in the door to meeting some people, some people they can relate to. Do you find that this article has? Well, and I will repeat the title for anybody looking it up right now: "How to Be a Dance Evangelist" by Laura Riva on DancePlace.com. Do you find that this article has helped give you some ideas for ways to? Um, for lack of a better term, work on one of your friends who you uh, would like to bring to one of the line dance bars in SoCal or any of the events that are out there in the world? Anything that you think would help bridge the gap for them more easily? Truth be told, most of the friends that I think I have right now already dance. So I, I don't think that really works. As delved into this world as I am, anybody that's already in the bar scene or circuit scene are my friends because of the dance world already. Uh, maybe once I move up to Sacramento to hang out with you more, we can uh, work on that portion. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. All right, next up on the podcast, we have an article, What is Dance Musicality? Yeah, this looks interesting. In learning choreography, execution tips, training tips, 
Dance Training, Making Choreography by Steezy. All right, opening our article. What is dance musicality? Dance musicality is how dancers hear, interpret, and dance to music. Dancers can demonstrate dance musicality in several ways. Which sounds they choose to dance to. How they highlight the sounds. How they emote the mood of the song. Check out these two pieces to the same song that are completely different in both style of dance and musicality choices. And of course, in this article, you are meant to click the play button on two different videos, one of which uh, is Superstar by Aluna George, and it looks like choreographed by Charles Nguyen. And then after that, we have Superstar Aluna George, and this one's choreographed by Chris Martin. Do you hear slash see the differences in Charles and Chris's dance musicality? Everyone listens to dance differently. Everyone listens to music differently. And as a result, dances differently. Now, watch these three pieces to the same song. Oh boy, this is definitely an interactive article. We have How Many Drinks by Miguel and choreographed by Carlo Durang. And then How Many Drinks by Miguel choreographed by Pat Cruz and Aggie Loyola. And then How Many Drinks by Miguel choreographed by La Devera. They're also different, right? And dope in their own ways. This is because Carlo, Pat, and Aggie, and Law listened and choreographed to the song using their own musicality. In addition, great choreographers also have unique ways of moving to music that bring out sounds you might not have heard when you're just listening to the song. For example, were there any sounds in the videos above that I didn't click at all because that wouldn't make sense on a podcast? That surprised you. Now, you'll never be able to unhear it. Sidebar for we have a sidebar from Mr. Alex Young. What is your uh, link for your uh, site for this lady? Uh, yes. For anybody who's listening right now, if you go to linedancepodcast.com, which is spelled L-I-N-E-D-A-N-C-E-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. That entire thing rhymes. I love it. L-I-N-E-D-A-N-C-E-P-O-D-C-A-S-T dot com. That'll take you to every episode of Line Dance Podcast that we have released to date in the last two years. Thank you for your interest in Line Dance Podcast. See how I said that? (laughs) It would incorporate. (laughs) All right. How to use dance musicality. Choreographers utilize different ways of execution, timing, and textures to portray how they hear the song. Not sure what textures are? Read this. What are textures in dancing? And we'll open up that link in a new tab. If you are familiar with the different sounds that make up a song, then you'll know how to execute moves to better portray those sounds. In order to do this, let's study some basics of music theory. What is an eight count? We use an eight count to break down the structure of the music. In dance musicality, the eight count is sort of like a map to know when you do a certain move. For example, if a choreographer says that a move executes on the five, you're going to count into the music one, two, three, four, move. The counts in between, and counts, are used to mark 16 counts, 1 and 2 and 3 and 4. 
Then there's a little picture here. It says eight count guideline. One is below the line and then goes up and, and then two is below the line and so on. It says one and two and three and four and five and six and seven and eight and. Add an E and to mark 32 counts. One E and a uh, two E and uh, which splits every count into fours. As a result, there are more markers in the music, so we use the ands and the andes for faster tempo pieces. What are those sounds in music called? All right, so we, we got the gist of the timing. Now, what's going on in those counts? Let's give those sounds a name. We're not going into every single sound found in the history of music, just the basics, so as not to overwhelm or overcomplicate. Lyrics. The words that the singer is singing to also referred to as the melody. The lyrics are probably the easiest to distinguish, but hardest to count and dance to, since vocals don't always match the strict structure of eight counts. Sometimes choreographers will make moves that correlate with the lyrics, like miming actions or using certain body parts. Bass. The bass is the lowest of the standard four voice ranges. Bass, tenor, alto, soprano or the lowest melodic line in a musical composition that supports the harmony. Different instruments can produce a bass sound, drums, guitar, etc. Dancers often use the onomatopoeia, boom, to describe a bass drum. Snare. It's the sharp, staccato sound you hear, like the sound you make when you snap a rubber band. Dancers often describe a snare as ka. Hi-hat. A hi-hat is produced by a hi-hat cymbal. Dancers often describe this sound as Synth. A sound synthesizer produces electric signals converted to sound using amps and loudspeakers. A common reference to a synth is the synth piano, which may sound like a long, slow bass wobble, 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 strings. Guitar strums and melodies are also useful to take note of for more instrumental and acoustic songs. Keyboard piano. The piano sounds will also accent or set the melody harmony of the song. You'll discover different combinations of different sounds in layers and layers of any song. Get used to dissecting music so you can name which sounds are what. And then there's a... What would you call this? A um, infographic on the beginner guide to musicality. After that, it says, you'll start to see patterns of sounds as you keep studying a song. Maybe there's a bass on each odd count and a snare on every even count. Boom, ka, boom, ka, boom, ka. Paying attention to those patterns will get you even more fluent with dance musicality. Using textures for dance musicality. Since each texture has a different look, it can match a different sound. For example, a move that's quick and sharp better matches a snare, ka, while a move that's more rounded, resistant, looks more like a long bass, boom. Because your body needs to understand and move like the sound, experimenting with different textures is the key to great musicality. Bianca Vayar from Choreo Cookies puts it beautifully. Textures are like dynamics and musical articulation in piano. They accentuate the music and match the changes and flow of the song, as well as add performance technique to a piece. Textures can be staccato, sharp, fast, and direct to the point. Or they can be legato, smooth, and flow with the melody. 
and textures all depend on your interpretation on how you hear the music and wish to portray that to your viewer. Dancers are physical interpretations of music, and textures allow people to see the music more clearly. In conclusion, to have great musicality, listen to the music and match your textures to those. We hope that this helped you understand what dance musicality is, as well as how to dance with dance musicality. Your thoughts, Alex? I was thinking that a lot of this goes with how I enjoy watching Roy and how he's made, how he's opened my mind to listening to the different layers of music. He'll point something out, like you'll see him play with something that totally matches what's going on in a song that might not always be there and you wouldn't necessarily hear it or pay attention to it and it's so it challenged myself to listen to the different instruments that are being played in a song and how many different layers of music it is and trying to separate it in my mind so it's interesting to see this all written in paper like this uh to see what people are choreographing to because like you like it says in this article you know, people choreograph sometimes to the lyrics or sometimes they'll go to an offbeat or sometimes they'll do it to just a different layer that you might not necessarily be overwhelmingly hearing like you would like the bass or like the guitar going, you know, it could be something very subtle in the background. And so anytime I'm listening to some of our favorite songs that, you know, we have uh, Christopher Gonzalez is uh spotify music i believe it is his playlists we listen to it and through it i'm playing a game with myself and uh jackie uh to identify different sounds and feel the rhythm and see if we could hear you know both of us at the same time like do you hear what i'm hearing just you know so hopefully that helps us improve as dancers because we have more room to play with music or understand what a person was choreographing when they wrote it. So, I like that. Thank you for your perspective. There was one mention in there about textures in dancing that I would love to dive further into. What are textures in dancing? This is by Jesse Ma. The previous article was by Steezy. This one is by Jesse Ma, also on blog.steezy.co. What are textures in dancing? We hear, we hear the word textures in dancing all the time, but many of us interpret it differently. What we do know for sure is that using the right textures in dancing is key in matching your moves to the music. Textures also help you depict the right intention and make your piece come to life as a whole. So, let's explore what textures in dancing are. 1. How does a move feel? Think about these objects. Honey. Tree bark, velvet, sandpaper, silk, a cheese grater, a fish swimming in water, nails on a chalkboard. Do you imagine these things feeling different? You should. That means they have different textures. Textures literally means these feel appearance or consistency of a surface or a substance. For example, honey is thick and gooey. Sandpaper is rough. A fish glides smoothly in water. Nails scratch on a chalkboard. Ouch. Now, let's take this literal translation of textures to what textures mean in dancing. Textures in dancing refers to how the move feels on your body when you do it, or how the move feels on the eyes when you watch it. 
Let's take a look at some different textures in dancing. Examples of different textures of a piece. Watch how Archie Sakilabon moves in his anti-up piece. Click. Now compare that with Desi Del Rosario's execution in her One Wish piece. Click. How would you describe these two pieces? <laughs> Who knows? Because this is a podcast and we can't see videos. Archie's piece is strong and explosive. I mean, he's dancing to gunshots. Overall, it's stimulating and exciting to watch with a lot of clean lines, sharp hits, and powerful staccato combos. Aw, S-word. Desi's is super easy on the eyes. Very smooth, controlled, resistant. It's like she's dancing in a tub of honey. Mmm. Like in Archie's and Desi's pieces, textures in dancing can be used to describe how a piece feels as a whole. But we also use textures in dancing to explain how a specific movement is executed. Examples of different textures for a single move. You can do the exact same move using a different texture to give it a completely new quality. For example, watch these clips of me doing the exact same move using different types of textures. Texture. Plane, power, is evenly distributed from point A to point B. So I believe the first time I saw this article, because the, the pictures are uh, loading in the form that is invisible to the eye at the moment, uh, there's a movement of a leg from one end of, say, a two-foot span to the other. Now, let's add some textures. Texture. Resistant. Tense. Drawn out. Looks and feels like dancing in a tub of jello. Next one. Texture. Quick. Powerful. Sharp. Looks and feels like rubber bands snapping back to place. Texture. Bouncy. Light. Looks and feels like jumping on a trampoline. Like how Chris dances all the time. <laughs> now, what would happen if we combined these different textures? We go from resistant to quick and sharp. Watch it go from bouncy to resistant. When you change up the texture in your dancing, the look and feel of the move can be transformed. You can also combine different textures to create even more dynamic moves. Number four. Using textures in dancing for musicality. Why are textures so important anyway? For one, utilizing different textures allows you to create infinite variations of moves, as you saw in the examples above. And since each texture has a different look, it can match a different sound. For example, a move that's quick and sharp better matches a snare. Ka! And a move that's more rounded and resistant looks more like a long bass. Boom. This is all sounding very familiar. Experimenting with different ways your body moves is the key to great musicality. Let us quote again Bianca Vayar from Choreo Cookies, who puts it beautifully. Textures are like dynamics and musical articulation in piano. They accentuate the music and match the changes and flow of the song, as well as add performance technique to a piece. Textures can be staccato, sharp, fast, and direct to the point, or they can be legato, smooth, and flow with the melody. And textures all depend on your interpretation, how you hear the music and wish to portray that to your viewer. Dancers are physical interpretations of music, and textures allow people to see the music more clearly. For example, in Like a Boy, Sora Yang utilizes textures that are slow and resistant, as well as textures that are powerful and more loose. 
She does this to highlight the differences in sound she is dancing to within the song. When you take a dance class, pay close attention to how the choreographer sings the move. This will tell you how they want you to execute the movement. For example, a one knee and two is much different from a one and two, three. Listen to the music, listen to the counts, and try to match your textures to those. Number five, how to execute different textures. If you are choreographing or learning a piece, then a great way to understand your textures is to visualize. Pretend you're touching something. Then, take that thing away and pretend you're still touching it. That's how you dance with the texture you imagine. Or use your imagination like Gina Hong. Watch how she describes the textures she's going for in her Ezra piece. She's moving very slowly and she says, Pretend we're moving through space. Miming the actions of a person perhaps dancing on the moon. Line dance in space. It could happen. Got the feeling of the texture? Great. Now let's talk mechanics. How to create these textures. Two main things to utilize in order to create the, quote, right textures in dancing are power and speed. Power refers to how much you're tensing your muscles or how much energy you're putting behind your moves and when. Speed is how quickly or slowly you're doing the move. This chart illustrates basic combinations of the two elements. On the vertical axis, you have from high and then down in the bottom part of the, the vertical axis, low, and then left and right, you have slow and fast for speed. So your power is up and down. Your speed is left to right. In the upper right quadrant, you have strong and fast, like you're punching a punching bag. And then in the bottom left quadrant, you have loose and slow, like you're swimming through the air. In the upper left, you have strong and slow. Maybe it's a, a strong, expressive, but sad, melancholy piece about loss, and you're waving your arms, but with intention. And then in the bottom right quadrant, we have loose and fast, where maybe you're just kind of frantic, and you're flash dancing, and you're ba -ba -da -ba -da, shaking your arms like you're dancing a hey-ya. For example... This milky resistant texture is slow and strong. I'm tensing my muscles as I move through the pathway. And then there's an image here. This thrashy movement is loose and fast. Both your power and speed are on a spectrum, so you are not limited to these four extreme categories. The graph is to help you understand ways you can control your texture. Practice your musicality by matching your power and speed with the way a song sounds. Hope this gave you a better idea of textures and dancing and how to practice them. Watch this video for a quick, quick recap of this article. Remember, textures in dancing isn't about what move you do, but how you do it. Keep practicing how you execute your textures in dancing by listening to different types of music and experimenting with your power and speed. What are your thoughts on this article, on textures and dancing? A lot of about the same thing, honestly. Uh, just seeing certain people that'll play with a certain type of music. If you know, you could see most people dancing. If it's a slower song or if it's more heartfelt, then it's going to be more like you were explaining. You know, strong, deliberate, but slow. Taking your time, you can feel the emotions through each step. Uh, somebody that I can actually say uh, as an example for that would be watching uh, Philip 
dance uh, Sound of Silence which was just a super powerful one where he was doing you know in certain parts of the song there'd be something sharp and snappy but then you know during the long drawn out real sad sounding parts uh, you would see him be very strong and slow with it very deliberate in his motions and you can feel that through his dance and it makes you feel more connected to the music so yeah definitely and when you have like a high energy high paced you know sounding song and you get something that makes you want to get up there and you know jump around and kick and flail sets you're loose and it's exactly what you're saying you know it's like you feel it in the music and you can put your emotions behind it you can really feel it you know and express it in very kind ways in, in in very like ways so what are some of the dances that you feel comfortable enough with to add your textures to any dances where you feel like there are parts that you do kind of cool and loose and smooth and sexy and then other parts in the same song that to you intuitively feel like you need to add more punch and march and then other parts where you just kind of tap like you're almost tiptoeing through the song. Hey, a good one right now that I actually just thought about was uh, Got Your Number. Uh, that's a Darren's dance, right? That was Darren's? Uh, Darren Bailey. Uh, there's portions in the song, you're doing the same thing, right? You know, toe heel cross, toe heel cross, and you really get into it when some of that song is hitting real hard. There's a part where it kind of, you're still doing part A to the dance, but it's uh, kind of like the lady's kind of singing off in the distance like uh you know got your number but it's super faint not really like the music's all chimed out like none of the bass is going none of the drums are going it's just real faint right and so you kind of tone down your dancing and kind of just do it real slow and smooth like and then as soon as that next 32 comes you know the start of the next 32 coming up again it hits again and then it just like you slam right back into it you know doing those moves we were practicing so hard to get the twist right the the hips and everything and just put everything you have into it just because like you feel the energy of the music pipe back up so you just give it everything you've got again so that's i think that'd be the about the best explanation i can give of that in that regard what would be some of the textured words that you would use to describe your dancing in broken heart maybe give a top five top ten words that you describe how you dance broken heart and top five or ten words that you use to describe how you dance no vacancy Mm. descriptors you're gonna have to be more uh well for example like uh broken heart might think like a woodpecker or driving driving nails into a board or um you know Kicking a really defined I scuff feel. into the. We're just trying to discuss, discuss how I feel during these songs. Right. Yeah. Textures that you feel in in broken heart versus maybe no vacancy. That might be more like molasses, like you like your whole body is like s- snake skin or something. Truth be told, I mean, no vacancy is a no brainer. It's a very slow, nice, sexy song that you know you just envision having a woman in your arms and you know making love to her definitely a super intimate dance and so in that there's definitely a lot of emphasis on my body roles in that dance you know hip swaying 
you know, that that dance gives a lot of leeway for that sort of stuff. There's dance interpretation stuff, you know, you're wearing my shades, you know, doing hand motions for wearing my shades or, you know, as bright as the sun, circling the sun, you know, or, you know, the other maybe provocative dance moves that are incorporated or added into it. Uh, As far as, like, Broken Heart, it's... It's one of those that just feels like the song hits super hard, and it's a lot of emotion behind it. You're talking about a broken heart, so you're not happy about this. And so, yeah, like you're saying, you know, hammering nails, right? You're just giving it what you got. You just, you're pouring so much energy into that dance compared to where you feel like in no vacancy, you're more, res- you're more reserved with your energy. You're still deliberate. You're still commanding a presence but you're not bouncing all over the place obviously so the textures in that uh i think somebody mentioned it to me that certain people have a certain type of dance style that they have uh two people that relate dance like popcorn i think it was wasn't it Hmm. (laughs) i believe uh, a certain christopher might have been the quoter for that uh where there's other dances where you're more grounded, right? Uh, so, Broken Heart would be right up your alley with the whole popcorny feel. Bouncing around, hitting hard, popping. Where No Vacancy is the more grounded, deliberate, smooth, intimate dance feel. Does that work? I think so. Okay. Oh, and uh, since the mic probably didn't pick that up, I said, I think so. <laughs> All right. You know, that brought up an interesting thought as you were describing ah. that. I've just pulled up another article here. Stage presence. What is it and how can I get it? This is on dancemagazine.com.au. You know it when... Oh, this is by Emily Ewell Volen. You know it when you see it. Some call it star power. Others say it's an innate quality of the soul. Stage presence. What is it? How important is it? And can it be trained? Let's bullet here. This is an interesting mm-hmm. thing. Just in the, the topic of this, this first sentence paragraph, you know, there's a lot of people that come to mind, a lot of things that I've personally thought of on my own. And so I'm kind of curious to see what this article is going to say. You know, when thinking about a Fred Whitehouse, a Rachel McEnany, a, a Rebecca, you know, a Shane, we have the pleasure of having here, or a Roy. We have all these people here. And what is it that's so captivating about them that makes them highly sought after, you know, both as dancers and personally? Because you have to be admired and liked in both regards to be brought to these events. So I'm, I'm, I'm really interested to see this article. Do you have any predictions or things that, um, that stand out to you that you think they might touch upon as well? A lot of it has to do with your portrayal of passion, how much you really care about what you do. That's going to be, a, I think that's going to be the biggest thing. That's the biggest thing to me. And I think that's the raw form of something that I have because I do know that I catch a lot of attention when I'm dancing mostly because of just the raw passion I have not for dance technique I don't have what Fred has I don't have that that very deliberate knows or very knowledgeable of dance look I'm just super passionate about it and that in itself is its own stage presence so there could be different varying degrees of this as well 
you know, when I watch Shane dance, he has a very hip hoppy feel and it's super fun and enticing to watch, which is totally different than some of the things that Rachel dances or some of the things that Roy would dance, you know, where he's very flowy, very, very chill, very, and Darren especially too. Uh, we were talking about this, I think it was a Palm Springs where we were saying that he's very masculine in what he does, even when he's doing things that are looking very ballet-esque and it's, it's beautiful to watch. And so these are all things that are captivating to us. So, you know, even if you're not a dancer, you'd still look at him and be like, wow, that looks incredible. Or man, that's, they just super have my attention right now. I have everybody else that's in this room dancing. I can't take my eyes off them. What is it that these people have? So I'm curious. All right. Homer Bryant, founder and director of Chicago Multicultural Dance Center, the school of Homer Hans Bryant, replies to the question, what is stage presence? By saying stage presence is dancing in a relaxed manner from your heart. You can be dramatic, comedic, whatever. It's when you transform yourself and the audience says, wow, that's amazing. Doing pretty good on the prediction so far, I'd say. <laughs> Next up, we have Regold, publisher, Dance Studio Life. I think most people would believe that it is a smile or a personality on stage, but to me, stage presence is being able to express an emotion that is felt by the audience. Nailed it's it. more from the gut. I hear teachers say, give me a smile. Even if the students smile, it's not necessarily stage presence. Can attest to that. With, uh, same thing with Darren. Uh, when he was dancing, some of those pieces that, uh, you know, you, Megan, Jackie, and I were all enjoying... Darren wasn't really smiling during that portion. Uh, he was very into the music, though, and you can tell when he was dancing it that there was emotion behind it, so you felt it, and that's what really gripped us. I, I agree with that statement right there enti- entirely. It depends on the mood of the music, too. If something is upbeat and happy and you have a big smile, that adds to your stage presence, but I don't think that is the defining factor of it. All right, next up is Matt Kent, Associate Artistic Director, Pilobolus. It's about displacement. The amount of water you spill out of the bathtub. There's not an X factor that you can read about in a book and get. All right. Stand out. Yeah. Thomas Lund, Principal Dancer, Royish, Royal Danish Theater Ballet. I find from my experience that some people have star quality. They get on stage and people look at them. But I find that people who do not have that strength can work through the quality of the movement, how to sustain movements, and can actually look more interesting. I don't always buy she or he hasn't got it. It's an interesting thing. It feels like there's certain people that do naturally have it, and I haven't personally seen anybody that's developed that as much. They can work on certain skills, but people that have that certain draw to them it's it seems to be more from their character a lot of these people that have this presence have a certain quality about them that overall makes them just feel like they're stars even when they're not dancing does that make sense Mm -hmm. yes sometimes you'll be in a room and five people will be talking and you're not sure if there's supposed to be anything significant about any one of them, but there's one of them, and there's just a way about them that you think there's something important about that person. And then, of course, they all get up and they go to the ballroom. It turns out that was the instructor, so that makes sense. But, like, you wouldn't have known that necessarily 
just by watching them talk. They could have been any guests in the hotel. It's the way they carry themselves. It's it's the it's who they are. It's in their core. It's not maybe you can change yourself to do that and you, you teach yourself to, you know, behave in certain ways. You can improve how you deal with speech, public speaking, standing in front of a crowd. I'm terrible at that. I know that. But if you put me on a stage and don't have a mic in front of my face, I can dance my heart out and I wouldn't have a problem with it, you know? Uh, so some things do come more naturally, I feel like, and it would make it easier for you to have that as far as like stage presence, but give me a microphone like right now. And it's diff, it's sometimes difficult for me to conjure up the words to say, especially when I know there's a bunch of people listening. Uh, so just having that naturally or being able to learn it, mm, I don't think you'd be as successful with it as if you already had a steep background in it or a natural knack to it. Like for yourself, for example, when we watched you at Palm Springs and you were very deliberate with your words and concise and there was no ums or ohs, like you knew exactly what you were doing. That came with a lot of practice, but I feel like you have a knack for talking more than, say, myself, because I don't necessarily do public speaking, you know, as, as something that I choose to do or I'm interested in doing even. I'm more interested in just dancing in the moment, and that's even a new thing for myself even at that. So, I mean, it, it's all in relativity, though, right? Because, like, in the Army, you know, uh, being in charge of people or giving directions and orders... I'm very direct, and I can do that fine, even if there's a whole bunch of people listening. But in front of a bunch of people dancing, that's a whole different element. So it, it's it's weird. Presence can be interpreted in different ways. Uh, stage presence, as far as just being a performer, I would rock out on. But you give me a microphone and instruct, and I'm not sure where I'd be right now. Is that a skill I want to develop? Yes. Do I have the natural talent to be an instructor? I don't believe that's so. And so I'm not sure how that's going to weigh out. That's actually kind of what I'm hoping to see in my future. It's interesting that you mentioned that about the military because this may be something you've experienced as well, but when some people give commands, they seem like the person who's supposed to be giving commands. Two people can say the exact same sentence. But one person might say it, and you're like, I don't buy it. Like, I hear the words that they're saying. I know they've got this patch on their shoulder. But when the other guy says it, like, he sounds like the voice of God. Like, that person knows where this command is coming from. And that's that's sort of like... Uh, yeah, exactly. Like, there, there's some people who can tell you this is the step that we're gonna, all going to be doing for this dance. And somebody else, who might be the choreographer of the dance, who sounds unsure... And they choreographed it. They should know. But somebody else, like a Rachel, she can tell you to do anything. And it's like, oh, well, of course, we have to do that. That's what you're supposed to do there. Like, that makes so much sense that we, you know, scratch our armpits like a monkey. Like, that's <laughs> that's just what you do there. Rachel said so. Like, you buy it, you know? You know, a lot of that has to do with respect for the person, too. This goes back to the character of the person, you know, the respect that they command just by being in a room, how they carry themselves, how they make eye contact, uh, their body language. A lot of these things are key factors in, you know, a person's presence, uh, particularly with stage. If you're, like, kind of looking around like, you know, is this really the right thing I'm saying and you're unsure about it, then nobody's going to buy it. 
But because Rachel has so much confidence in what she's doing, too, then, of course, you buy it. And her personality and how... I, I don't know how to describe it. There, there's... I don't know how to describe that air. We're trying to figure that out in this article. <laughs> All right. Next up, we have Susan Quinn Williams, associate professor at University of Arizona School of Dance, master teacher and choreographer. Stage presence to me is when the whole body, head to toe, is at its highest point. It's when everything comes together. Next, we have Patty Obey Master teacher, choreographer, it's the ability to perform to an audience. All right. Next up we have, why is stage presence important? Matt Kent. It's what makes people follow you where you are going to lead them. All the other things you have may be for naught if there's no presence about it. Dance always starts with imitation, but you have to get beyond it. So this is under why is stage presence important? It makes people go it makes people follow you where you are going to lead them. All the other things you have maybe for not if there's no presence about it. Dance always starts with imitation but you have to get beyond it. This kind of goes back to your thing your question about the military stuff, you know, one person saying, "Hey, this is the order that we're going to take. This is the step we're going to take." And then somebody else being like, "No, this this is what we're going to do." And they you feel it behind their meaning. And you know that they're going to lead by example. So they'll be there to do it with you, right? And so you're more willing to follow them rather than do what I'm saying, don't really pay attention to what I'm doing kind of thing. It, it's so much about character. It's so much about... I don't know how you teach somebody that kind of character either. How do you just develop that? It's so much. There's so many people that go through like the military per se that will not become a sergeant. And will, or if they do, it's like... They're the ones that you don't really feel like following. Like, you don't want to. You have to. Compared to the ones that you would you would march through hell itself for. Rachel comes to mind. Rachel and Joe, they could tell me to do anything, and I would believe that they had my best interests at heart. Even if they didn't explain why they wanted me to cartwheel through traffic, I'd be like, there's something behind this. They, they want me to learn something. They want me to face something. They want me to, like, save some group of ducklings by doing this. Like, there's something that, that is good and true and pure about what they want me to do, and I will do it without too much question. Right. I agree with that, yeah. There's definitely that, like, that goes back to respect. You respect them, and you you believe in them and their values that gives them more presence than just what they can perform on stage. When they speak to you, they sound like they care. Yeah. I think that's why... I think that's why so much of line dance and, like, becoming one of these instructors who's around forever is long-term. People just in the last few years are starting to headline or close to headline uh, events like Shane McKeever, Madison Glover. They're young, and yet they've been doing this their whole life. So it really shows you how important it is to be in this for a very long time so that people get to know who you are, what you stand for, what you're like, uh, how you think, what you think about people and how you treat people. And if you just show up out of nowhere and say, hey, I've won all these awards, I'm a really fabulous dancer, you should learn all my stuff, and then you disappear the following year, like, 
people are wary. You know, they, they, they want to learn fun dances. They want to take fun classes. But you're not necessarily going to have it made overnight just because you're charming at one event. Some of these things really have to be long-term. You have to prove you're in it with them for the long haul. People like Joe have been around, you know, John Robinson, for decades. And you know that they will not leave you. So you want to no be with them. Through, no matter what they're going through. Like, Joe is such an incredible story on her own. Was it two shoulders and a hip, or was it two hips and a shoulder replacement? And still dancing and motivating the heck out of us youngsters. <laughs> She's an incredible woman. That is that is so inspiring. Hearing some of the stories that some of these people have, you know, where they've come from, how much history they have in it, you know, how much they really care and love love this makes you more inclined to want to want to study from them, want to be around them, want to have them as your friends and family. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And that's the kind of thing that you can't buy or just turn a switch on for. It's really time. Just time shows what kind of person you are. And genuinity. Genuinity. Next, we have Thomas Lund. If you don't have stage presence, people won't think there's anything to watch. There won't be anything special about your performance. Whatever you do, you have to make something. I concur. Next up, Susan Quinn, you have to tell me a story. I can't stand it when a choreographer or dancer dances the movement and then starts to walk. Why are you walking there? If you're walking for no reason, I'm going to get popcorn. You must tell me a story. I want you to tell me what you are feeling. That's what the expression of emotion. I totally can agree with that. If It's like... Okay, not to knock people that don't express themselves when they dance, because, you know, it's incredible seeing people at these events, mostly older ladies, right? They're all here because they want to be, but they don't necessarily wear it on their face. That doesn't give them a stage presence. I'm not, I'm not, cha- I'm not cha- uh, challenging the idea that they enjoy what they're doing or anything like that, right? It's just what, they, what separates them from having a stage presence compared to somebody that really is into it or pouring their heart and soul into this, right? The ones that are pouring their heart and soul into it are the ones that are telling that story. Like we were talking about uh, musicality and stuff, right? They're playing with the music. You can feel it in the emotions of the of what's going on, like the the boom cause and stuff, right? And you can you can see it in their sharp move, like they're they're popping certain parts, and they're really like you know Rachel with her head whip type things going on, like, and it hits that music, and you just feel it, like you know they're in the moment, you know that they're feeling the music, and they're expressing it to you, to where you can feel the emotions that they're doing. So absolutely, absolutely, tell me that story. Next up, we have Patty Obey. It's important because the audience wants to be entertained. It's important because you learn to show why you dance. Open your heart. Spread the love around. If you can't live, eat, and drink dance, then don't do it. It's not 100% commitment. It's a 200% commitment. That has Chris written all over it. But anyways, absolutely. I I definitely enjoy that portion right there. Uh, If you're being a stage presence, you have to be entertaining. If for whatever your niche is, you don't have to be the same entertaining as somebody else that's also got a stage presence. But you have to have something that draws attention. You know, like the, one of these other people was writing. You know, if you're just gonna walk around and look like you're completely bored, and you, but you're on the stage, and you're supposed to have my attention, but you're not doing anything to keep it, then I'm just gonna go do something else. 
Maybe it's time for me to go take a break because I've been dancing and crazy, you know? But if I see, like, oh, my God, it's Fred Whitehouse. He's getting on stage, and he's, like, he's got his mic on, he's getting pumped up, and he's, like, starting to interact with people, and he's like, all right, we're going to do this dance. And I'm like, well, I guess I'm sticking around then. I'm not going to go have that smoke break right now. I'm staying right here. (laughs) Yeah, when I was in the teaching credential program at Sonoma State, people would say if you're not completely passionate about the subject you're teaching, you won't make it. You're going to burn out. And the students will see that you don't want to be there. They will react to that and also not want to be there. And it's not fair for anybody because why are you doing it to yourself if you don't want to be there? And why should they take a class from a teacher who thinks that they have better places to be? I see Megan uh, came over to the table and now she has run over to the the people who are flocking in as the event will be beginning in uh, about a half an hour. And uh, it looks like you have another thought on this? I do. Uh, You were just mentioning about uh, seeing somebody that really cares about what they do and how that's so important. It really is, though. If if you can't feel that it's important for them, we were talking about this with Darren. Actually, I think it was. We you have a podcast about it. I think we chimed in with a question about that. What is it that keeps you so entertaining in what you do? Why? How? What keeps you driven to keep doing this? Like, where do you get that energy from? That that um, that persistence in what you do and not getting bored with it? Because you can tell when somebody gets bored with it. And when we're watching him, we're like, no, he's not bored of it. Even though we asked him, like, you know, what's a song that you just absolutely dread people, you know, asking you to dance? And he listed it. I'm not going to say it now, so that way people keep asking him for it. But it's just like. He gets so done with it because it's such a high-energy dance that he's just like, he's over it, right? He's like, why did I choreograph this? I was insane. But uh, he still goes and gives it 200% because that's what he's selling people. Like, you know, people are loving seeing that. They're requesting it. They want it. And he delivers. And that gives him that presence. That 100% does. He gives 100% of his heart out to his people. Next up, is stage presence something you are born with, or do you develop it? Homer Bryant. There are some people who are just born with it. It's part of their DNA. Many others train. Dancers get better with time. That one's pretty short and sweet. Next up, we have re-gold. I think it is a case of overcoming inhibitions and the ability to let it go and not be intimidated to share who and what you are with the audience. I've seen many teen dancers who don't get it, but then they pursue dance at the university level of performance, and they learn. I think I agree with that. I feel honestly incredibly intimidated by a lot of the talent that I see around, like a Madison Glover and a a Shane McKeever and a bunch of people that are younger than I am that are miles and miles. Might as well be a different world level of dance from me. And so for me to what even pick peek my head into the idea of possibly instructing i love the idea of it but that's super intimidating to where i wouldn't want to pick up a microphone and do it myself and so that's why i don't feel confident in the whole microphone thing and having that presence where if i was just dancing i would have the presence different categories definitely get that thomas lund some are born with special abilities and then there are people you don't notice in the studio who then get into the stage lights and there it is. It's in the face. It's not about being photogenic. It's something to do with performance. It really does. 
I don't have anything to add, but I agree with that. Next up is Susan Quinn. Yes, some people have natural stage presence. I'll tell you, though, I've been teaching over 30 years, and maybe 10 or so people I know have natural stage presence. Stage presence must be taught. For the ones that have truly become successful, like any of the people currently in the high end of our dance world, though, I don't really necessarily feel like that's something that was taught. I feel like it's something that looks like they naturally have because it's in their quality of character. Like a lot of the things we were talking about, that respect that they that they earn. Like you could teach somebody respect, but if they don't really believe in respect, then you wouldn't really respect that person, right? You could see right through it. But who they are is people. I mean, I guess you could teach that, but I mean, it's like teaching somebody how to how to have good behavior, how to have good manners, how to you know. That's a that's a lifelong change rather than you just having it. I mean, if you were to take my upbringing, I wouldn't uh, like anybody in my life. There wasn't a whole lot of people that said sirs and ma'ams and held doors open for people. I kind of just decided that was what I, you know, I that was a part of who I was for whatever reason. It's just me. To try to untrain myself to do that would be a totally different beast like trying to teach somebody to do have stage presence. I feel like would be a beast of a thing to tackle. Could you do it? Anybody can do anything. I'm guaranteed. I 100% believe that. It's just going to be an incredible hurdle. And for you to be as successful at it as, say, a Joe Thompson Smansky, it's just, how would you even fill those shoes? How would you even come close to filling those shoes? Even if you spent from now until half your life working on that, I don't feel like you'd be able to get to that point. She just has that. She got to where she was because of the person she is. She deserves it. She deserved it. She earned it. I think one of the things that Rachel does that stands out to me is she's always thinking about the other person. And, I mean, it's very easy to look at her and think that uh, when she dances, she's just marvelous and flawless and beautiful and amazing and makes no mistakes ever, but she would be the first to admit that she makes mistakes. She feels unprepared when she does some lessons. In the podcast uh, interview with her, she she has said that she has felt at times like the worst choreographer, the worst instructor, like she make, made a total blunder and everybody must have caught it. <laughs> and and when she, when she does these tutorials for her uh, side thing that she does with Lip Sense, she applies makeup and lipstick and you know eye makeup, um, eyebrow stuff she starts these videos completely unmade up very humbling sight to see like when you when you look at her and you just think she's just like i don't know her her like her face is meant to be alongside all the movie stars of history and then you see her a totally normal person in her house in front of a webcam talking with people and saying oh hey virginie you know how is it in france like she's your next door neighbor and she doesn't wear makeup when she first wakes up. You don't have to either. You can all just be friends and normal together. And she's willing to do that and to show this like raw side of herself because it's necessary to show how to put on these things that she wants to teach people how to do. And she can't do that if she's already done up. Like you can't go through the process twice. So she she takes this spirit of giving and disregards whatever it might make people think of her because it's about the other person. It's about who she's giving to. And I really love that about her. It's, it's one of those things that I hope to learn from so that I don't 
worry too much about me and my focus, my anxiety or my worries and doubts. It's, well, is the other person learning? Is the other person gaining something? Well, it doesn't matter about me. I can deal with me. Next up, we have what can you do to improve your stage presence? Homer Bryant, my school offers musical theater and acting classes and coaching in addition to dance technique classes. I found that these classes really help develop stage presence. Another way we are teaching stage presence is by having the students of every age perform for their peers during class time. They critique each other without being harsh and grade each classmate's performance. As a teacher, I ask the students how they feel about particular movements to help them make human and mental connections to what they are doing. You know, this might be why I have an issue with the idea of learning stage presence because you we had a conversation recently where you did do musicals and that's where you got your confidence and your and how you're able to speak and perform on stage flawlessly. I haven't had that. So, I don't know what it would be like to be educated on that side. Maybe it would help. But right now it's like where I'm at, I've made it without any education. It's just, here I am, and I, I'm part of the Stagecoach Dance Team, I'm proud to say. You know, so obviously there's something about me that other people believe in enough that want me on a stage to at least dance. And I'm comfortable and confident and 100% into it. Uh, where are you with your musical background and stuff? You have more ability to instruct people and sound superb and professional and still funny and just amazing. Right? I wouldn't have that. And I maybe that is the difference of having that class. Or maybe it was something you naturally had. And I'll never know. I won't know. I don't know how you were before your musicals. You chalk it up to having your musicals. But what is really it? Did you have that natural knack before? Or was it learned through musicals? Who knows? Yeah, I'd have to do a serious study on the history of my life and see how all the pieces fell into place. This is just one example, though. I mean, this is just... From my personal experience, because you're the closest friend I have in the dance world right now, right? That's an instructor in circuit, more or less. Uh, If I had Fred's or Darren's or anybody else's ear to peel about it, I would. But how did they get theirs? I guess we'd have to ask them. We really would. Maybe we'll have an opportunity to do that with some folks like Shane, Rebecca, Roy, etc. over the course of the weekend. Next up we have Regold. I think it comes with performing. It's about explaining to your dancer what the story is about, what they are supposed to portray, really giving them the information they need to express the story. Sometimes dancers do not know what the choreographer is trying to express. The dancer needs to be fully aware of the choreographer's intention. That goes to musicality. We were talking about that earlier. Yeah. Matt Kent says... I'm a guy with no dance training who is working in the field because I brought something else. Part of the dancer's job is to let the magnetism out, to displace the energy in the room into more and more circumstances. You first have to learn how to bring out what you have and then let that ooze and infect the rest of the world of movement and drama. And it's a practice. It's not in your head. I come from a martial arts background, so I see stage presence as an action thing. Get on to stage more, and if you're a student... Fake it till you make it. It's going to be difficult to develop stage presence if you are afraid to take a risk. Trust what you're good at. Trust your technique. And then go out there. Take a risk. And let it all hang out. That's the difficult part is getting past your inhibitions and your fears. 
And I think that's where being surrounded by people who encourage you is very important because when I think about it, a lot of, uh, you know, even just the idea of getting into musicals and all that was uh, responding to positive feedback that I got from, say, like my Theater 101 class. Long before I actually did any shows, I would just do a GE class, Theater 101, because I had to fulfill a requirement. And people were giving me positive feedback about certain things that I would do. I thought, like, oh, well, this is kind of fun. So then I TA'd for the class after that because, well, I could probably help out with this, you know, this or that thing that I kind of get. And then I thought, well, you know, West Side Story is coming around. I love that musical. I listened to the music growing up. Maybe I could be some small bit part, you know. And then and things just kind of kept going because I kept following the positive feedback I would get from people about this or that thing I did right. And then I would want to do more of that and really just – it. It one thing led to another, and I, I, I mean, looking at it from a line dance perspective, that's pretty much how that started. I I was out there being dragged along by uh, my girlfriend at the time, and there would be these times when I would feel really good about my hips or something, or like being on beat, and then some random stranger comes up and says like, "Oh wow, could you show me how to dance like this or that?" <laughs> yeah, and uh, this dance or that one, you know, uh, just show me on the side. And I'm like. I mean, I don't know if I'm the authority, but I guess I could try. And then, little by little, you're helping more people, and you know, start thinking about teaching. And yeah, uh, it's all the positive feedback adding on to itself. Oh, there's Rebecca. Oh, it looks like Rebecca is in the room. Let's see if we have. Uh, oh, okay, just a few more of these points on the article. I think we'll wrap up on time. So next up, we have Susan Quinn. I think we tend to leave it up to the students, and that does not work. Stage presence must be taught right when you teach the first demi-plié. It has to do with épaulement, écarté, looking croisé, the body positions. You have to teach style and performance quality at the same time you teach technique. I also bring in commercial choreographers for mock auditions. They tell the dancers, I don't care if you can turn 50 times or how high your leg is in the air. If you are not selling the product, I will not watch you. See, that goes against part of what I was saying, too, is that for dancing, just just dancing from my heart has, has gotten me a lot of recognition in the dance world. People already know my name before I'm, I even walk up to somebody to meet them for the first time a lot of the times, wherever I go dance. And that, that to me, is a stage presence. Like, somebody's inquired about you before you even got off the floor. Compared to, like, the hundreds of other people that are out there, you obviously stood out. That's not something I learned from anybody. It was just because I was pouring my heart out and doing what I love to do. So I'm selling the product, but it wasn't something I learned how to do in a particular fashion or went to school or had anybody sit down and be like, hey, do this, do this. It was just something I did. I think it's interesting that they mentioned the bit about 50 times, turning 50 times, because I uh, I also watched some of the videos of some of the dancing we saw in places recently in, this, let's say, the West Coast, and I remember, I definitely remember a time years ago at the country bar where I used to go dancing, where I would see a person add a bunch of spins and think, wow... They must just—they must have been dancing forever if they could do that many spins. I didn't know that there were other things you could do, like <laughs> like not spin, <laughs> or you know freeze, or do the robot, or do something different and weird that really catches the music. I thought the apex was spinning more, and now 
you know, here they're saying, uh, if you're not selling the product, I will not watch you. Watching some of the competition videos, it just looked like a lot of tops all spinning, like like a bunch of washing machines all going <laughs> at the same time. And there's nothing wrong with it. If people enjoy spinning, if that really helps them express the dance, great. If they thought that that would be a trick that they could do to win the competition because it's fancy or something, then there are too many of them. My eye is not drawn to any of them because they're all doing it. And it's not expressive, it's not specific, it's not creative in a way that I would think of the way I think of some of the people like we've mentioned. Roy would find something that you wouldn't have known was even in the music, and he would hit it, and there wouldn't be any spinning involved. And uh, <laughs> It you know, might even just be a finger. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and you know, maybe, uh, maybe Rachel would do like a start, the start of a spin, and then kind of fake it out and do like a slow turn, and like whip her hair at the end or something, like something graceful and strong because she can do both of those so well and then uh, just watching all of those on the floor all doing their own thing that is hard because you want to watch all of them they're all selling it and you know just just doing 50 spins or kicking up really high it it might not be enough to watch any of them you might want to see what's going on who's like who's flirting with somebody in the back of the bar (laughs) in that competition video you know thoughts i know but pretty much agree with a lot of that yep (laughs) all right next up is patty obey watch other dancers go to see professional productions and see how other people perform why are those dancers in that great company all right i guess we could take that here and look at social dancing and see what is it that made the instructors um the kind of people that you want to aspire to be like and take their classes to become like them Next up, in the final section of this article, in our last eight minutes, would you rather hire a dancer with tremendous technique and average stage presence or a dancer with tremendous stage presence and average technique? Which is interesting because I think I've seen both in my time. Homer Bryant, I have seen some beautiful but dry dancers whose performances didn't cross the footlights. Dancers must invest in both stage presence and technique. I don't have anything to add to this yet. I'm All just right. curious to see what the responses are. All right. Next up is Regold. I definitely go with a medium-level dancer with stage presence rather than a technician. My responsibility is to entertain and move the audience. Give me a dancer with energy, life, and passion. I think stage presence is the key to success as a performer, as a teacher, and as a choreographer. Stage presence is present whether you are on the stage or not. I like that quote. I like that one a lot, too kind of goes back with what we were just talking about and furthermore actually this keyed in on something else we were talking about where i think it was palm springs as well i think we were talking to michael about who he wants to hire um and would he prefer to hire somebody that doesn't really perform that great or you know he's really good and spot on with teaching you know the precise steps and very knowledgeable on the step sheets but as far as gripping the audience or being personable or any of that kind of stuff, like he didn't have it, then he would find somebody else that would be more, even if they weren't as sharp on knowledge and stuff. Yeah. So I totally get that. I, it, it has to be a lot more. You should have the knowledge. You should still care. I mean, if you were up there and all you were was a comedian, then obviously you're not getting anything done. You might even hurt somebody if you have really awful technique that like makes them snap their ankles. Or something. Right. But, I mean, if you had, like, an average dancer 
like could get through the dances and stuff and you're not going to hurt anybody i would rather take somebody that would have more stage presence that's my personal take I definitely have a thought on this that uh, I may circle back around to depending on how these next few go. Matt Kent, especially with the work I do, I have zero interest in a perfect technician who does not have anything to say or a voice of their own. I'm not interested in imitation. Strong words. Thomas Lund, it certainly depends on the field you are in. Classical ballet people must look at the instrument, the feet, the lines, and turnout. But then you would also look at how they project and how they take the room. If I see two dancers and they are equally technically strong, but one looks more interesting and more expressive, I'd probably choose that one. Dancers have a tendency to fall in love with their technique and what can be done with the body, but somebody in the front line must also have a personality. That's one very strong part of the history with the Royal Danish Ballet. We've had ballerinas and males with great technique and quite a range of personality. Next up we have, and finally, Patty Obey. I would hire the dancer with tremendous stage presence and work on the technique. If I am the director of a dance company, I need to get butts on the seats. I have to build an audience and sell tickets to more than just a dance audience. Leave the arabesque at 90 degrees, but perform your heart out. It's sometimes easier to improve upon technique than stage presence. I think as a performer, you need to capture the audience. It's a relationship you build from the moment you walk on the stage. Feels like we've already got a pretty good grip on a lot of what this article is basically backing up. We've had conversations about this a lot, and this kind of lines up with a lot of the things that we've already had our minds towards. The one that I was going to circle back around to was, and it kind of is mentioned here, um, is the responsibility of an event director to create a can't-miss feeling or a can't-miss experience for people who attend their event. Because you can learn from a person who's just giving you perfect technique in person. You could also do it at home on YouTube. So if you, if you can do it at home and it's free, well, why not do that? Why go out? To, why fly out to somebody's event? Why spend $700 to come all the way <laughs> to the other side of the States <laughs> to see somebody? There, there's something special about being in the same room as people who have that very special something about them. And it's more than just the technique. It's the interaction that you have with them or while, while they're interacting with each other late at night when the ballroom is all but closed and they're pulling out some crazy classics from the past, things that you never would have thought you'd see, and you are one of the select few who stayed up that late to watch this happen. <laughs> you feel like you're part of this club and... And anybody who wasn't here missed out. That and and being able to uh, create those or facilitate those experiences as an event director is what, in my mind, really puts butts in the seats. That keeps people from just watching the live stream at home. That makes people feel like they need to be there to be witness to the unpredictable amazingness that can only be seen in person at that event. It definitely was a huge uh, selling point for Vegas was having... You know, those late night things going on. Yeah. Uh, watching, you know, Shane and Rebecca play with each other actually was he- heck of fun, you know? Uh, seeing Fred out there being, ex- or not, sorry, Fred, uh, seeing uh, Philip out there being expressive and stuff and, and being very welcoming, you know, all that stuff. All of these things gave me such a positive feedback about it that made me want to go back again. Like, that's what sold it to me. 
you know uh when you see a bunch of people there like i said it's a bunch there's a lot of older people that dance and they're not as they're they're friendly enough if you're talking to them if you manage to catch somebody's attention most of the time they'll just walk by you a lot of the time if you don't say something first or haven't already made an impact on them they'll just treat you like you're just another person um but when you interact with some of these people that's what really builds your your desire to go back and so having these people with stage presence and with these personalities and like you know and seeing the way they play with each other really really does build on that like it really emphasizes hey this was a positive experience i need to do this again all right well this has been the article stage presence what is it and how can i get it by emily ewell volin on dancemagazine.com au this has been christopher gonzalez with alexander jung reporting live from the line dance showdown event in Boston, specifically Quincy, Massachusetts. We are looking forward to a great night and weekend of dancing. And uh, you can, of course, catch this and share this with your friends at linedancepodcast.com. Tune in every week at moveradio.com between 1 and 3 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Until next time, we will see you on the dance floor. <laughs>